Welcome back to Come List Reason Together. And tonight, Paul and I thought that we would start a new series. It's going to be quite different than uh, the podcast we've done before. And we're going to be doing a deep dive into the book of Luke. Uh, we're going to be talking about a um, handful of miracles and parables and character studies that uh, that really have a, a lot of richness to them, a lot of depth and a lot of different perspectives that uh, we're going to be exploring. Uh, tonight, specifically, we're going to be talking about Jesus uh, healing the paralyzed man who they lowered through the roof. And then in, uh, next week, we're going to be putting out the uh, our discussion around the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Uh, so it's definitely going to be a nice uh, give and take between Paul and I on uh, perspectives and uh, different insights that uh, he and I have on it. And I'm really glad that you guys are here uh, to be part of the conversation. So let me start by reading our scripture to us. And I'm going to use NIV. And this is going to be in Luke 5, starting in verse 17. So one day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up for every, from every village in all of Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem, and the Lord's healing powers were strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat, and they tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up on the roof and took off some tiles, and then they lowered the sick man on his mat into the crowd right in front of Jesus. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law said to themselves, Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked them, Why do you question this in your house, in your in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven? or to say, stand up and walk. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. And everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. Very famous very famous um, miracle. Well, well, let's talk about uh, let's talk about five people. Okay. Here uh, is a, a man paralyzed, lying on a mat, and there are people who come by, and some say he must have done something awful, and some say, "I sure am glad that's not me," and uh, they walk on by. But he's got four neighbors, and those four neighbors, one at a time, will come, sit beside him, uh, turn him over, uh, uh, take care of him when he's soiled. Uh, and and they, day after day, these four people look after him. They're just everyday people, uh, but when they get home from work, they come and they look at, uh, see how he's doing, and uh, but they say to him, we're doing the best we can. And then one day, a man 
named Jesus Christ comes by with powerful spoken words and, and does some healing. And they say to themselves, we've got to get this guy to him. Mm. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, each one of us grab the corner and, and I'm asking you who are on the mat, is this all right with you? Yeah, let's go. And so they lift him up uh, off the ground and they begin to follow the crowd and there's no way to get in the house. So uh, these houses have uh, stairways on the outside and uh, they take him upstairs on a, a strawy sort of ceiling. And it's up to you now. Well, I guess my... I, I love your I love your description of that because it is four guys who took care of him. They cared about him deeply, and they're interested in getting him in, in getting him healed. Um. So we don't have any indication that those four men were necessarily followers of Jesus. They knew that he had been doing some miraculous things and thought this might be a good chance to heal their friend. They they heard his powerful words, powerful words. Good words. A lot of, nobody had said anything except these poor people on occasion said anything good to this paraplegic. Mm -hmm. They just passed him on by. Go. And we don't even really have any um, indication that they even said anything to Jesus at all. No. They just lowered it. They just lowered him down right in the middle of his sermon. And this was, you know, the roof opened up above him and they just started lowering this guy down into the middle of this house. They must have been caught by the powerful words that they heard as Jesus Christ came by. And mixed in those powerful words were, have faith and follow me. Mm-hmm. And so they did just that. They lowered him down, and this is what this is what confuses me. Oh, I don't really confuse. Me. This is what fascinates me. I think that's a better. I think that's a better term. Okay. He comes down. No one said a word. And Jesus, the first. Well, that well Jesus how would you to like him, to be in that room with the roof coming, ceiling, all that straw and wood? Uh, right. Spreading all over your head, and you're you're awestruck, but Jesus is not. But Jesus looked in verse twenty. He says, "Seeing their faith." Now I'm saying he's talking about the the friend's faith. Yes. Not the man's faith. Right. He's seeing their okay. faith, the ones who are taking the action. Right. And he says, then he turns to the man who's paralyzed and says, "Young man." Your sins are forgiven. No one said anything to me. Why would he forgive his sins first? He hasn't even asked for it. He hasn't said anything. He wants to be healed. I mean, but that's the first thing he said. I think he was saying to this young man or older man, either one, uh, you came into this world 
you were conceived in sin, not Mm -hmm. in guilt, but in sin. Mm -hmm. Okay. And everybody in this crowd was conceived in sin. Mm -hmm. So I want you to see what I can do with with all who are conceived in sin. It's fascinating to me, though, because you hear a lot of people say, and and I learned this when I went through and did a little study on miracles myself that that you are you are these people were healed because of their faith. He wasn't healed because of his faith. This was intercessory by his friends. He saw their faith, not the man's faith on the on the on the mat. It was the friend's faith that he that he recognized. But he said to his friends, he trusted them. Mm-hmm. Let's go. But the friends, in essence, it was intercessory prayer on their part. Could I look at it like that? Uh, You could, uh, prayer needs action. And they heard Jesus and they, they saw Jesus do things that amazed them. And they said, he, he will do, if, just if all we do is take action, he will, he'll take action. But it could be if someone, it, this could be anyone who loves somebody, it, they don't have to be in faith with Jesus to be healed. That's what I'm saying. The man on the para, on the paralyzed uh, that was paralyzed didn't ask to be healed or be forgiven. He came in. Jesus saw the faith of the people that were lowering him down. He forgave the the man's sin without him asking, and healed him based on the friend's faith. Uh, the man who was on the mat said, "Okay, let's go." Well, it didn't say that. Well. He must have looked up and shook his head, yes. But you think so? Yeah, I think so. Well, what do you think is required that he had to agree to that to be to be healed? Because I don't. I think he did it because these friends of his prayed for him, interceded on the man's behalf. In essence, they, they took action and brought him to Jesus. Today, today's world... If we have friends or family who are sick, we have someone that's in the hospital, even if it's someone that we know is not a Christian, we're praying for them. I think that Jesus, that God can heal that person, even if that person's not a Christian. That's what I'm reading in this. I think all healing comes from God. Mm-hmm. I do too. And... Uh, Jesus Christ, Son of God, uh, is his instrument of bringing healing into the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, the paraclete, the one who walks along beside, brings the power. Mm -hmm. And Jesus just looked and saw a need. And he took care of the need he said, and he said, your sins are forgiven. Well, this guy hadn't been able to do anything. What's that about? You were conceived in sin mm-hmm. and the whole room full 
needs to know that they are sinners too. But he didn't say us. He didn't say he didn't ask for forgiveness. No. Jesus forgave him, even when he didn't ask. Yeah, and and Jesus didn't say anything. Well, he did. He said, "Your sins are forgiven." Mm-hmm. And as he looked around the room, in essence, he was saying, "We're all about you. All are a bunch of sinners." Well, I think this is a beautiful story for the world. But doesn't this say that the transactional part of salvation that we as evangelical Christians say that you say this sinner's prayer, you have to ask for forgiveness and then Jesus will forgive you. In this case, this man was forgiven. He never asked for anything. Jesus just forgave him because of his unconditional love for that man that was paralyzed because of his friend's faith or sitting on the roof. Well, when I get down on my knees at night, I say to the Lord, I don't know what to ask the Lord. Mm-hmm. Intercede on my part. Yes. Intercede on my part. That's exactly what happened here, right? Yes. yes. That the Spirit and Jesus could see past this. He didn't have to ask. Right. He wanted who he wanted to He was ministering to this man but he wanted the whole crowd to see, I have the power over sin. And I have the power over brokenness. So this was a message. This Now, it looks to me like he said, young man, your sins are forgiven, but he's not healed yet. No, he says, it, because there's a lot of, well, the the religious leaders were, saying, what's going on here? We're not very happy at all this. So you and I both have been in business meetings where you plan in advance what you're going to do. And we're going to say, you know what? When he says that, I'm going to say this. And when I say this, he's going to do that. And we, when he does that, we're going to exactly where we want him. Don't you think that Jesus kind of thought that out? So he, I mean, this had purpose in a message because he knew he knew when he said that, that these Pharisees and Sadducees that were there were going to pitch a fit when he said that. Yes. And they said, only God has the power to forgive. Mm-hmm. And so he says, ah, so is it easier to say to him, stand up and walk or to say your sins are forgiven? And he, by demonstration, shows that he is all-powerful. And they don't know what to do with him except to go back to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And But some people are glad about a happy word and a happy uh, work. And there are others who say, well, who do they think they are anyway? And they... And they don't like happiness. They just flat out don't like happiness. Mm -hmm. Jesus said, you know, I came uh, and uh, you said I was a drunkard and and John the Baptist came and he he was judgmental and you don't like it either way. 
Talk to me about when Jesus said, so I will prove to you that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Is there any significance to him using son of man? Uh, yes, uh, son of man is used sometimes as just a son. And that on other t occasions, the son of man, and when he was baptized by John the Baptist, mm -hmm. the heavens opened up. God said, this is my beloved son in whom I have great joy. Mm -hmm. And so uh, they knew the difference between calling somebody a son of man. I'm a son of Paul G. Bowles. But, uh, and the son of man that had significance. It had significance back to the Old Testament, right? Yes. What, it refers back to a prophet, but I can't remember which one. Do you remember which prophet? It was, was it Isaiah or Ezekiel? It was, there was a, it refers directly back to the Old Testament of yeah. him using, it was a very intentional phrase on his part to say that to these, yes. to these religious leaders. And, and I don't recall. Why did the Pharisees question his authority? Why did they question his authority and why couldn't they accept that this that this miracle was of the Messiah? He he was messing up their nest. In what way? Well, they were the authorities. Like you said to me, mm -hmm. you've been to the seminary and all, and I don't trust anybody who's got the last word from God. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, they... You're messing up our nests, man. Mm. Uh, and and they are, are not very happy at all about him being, quote, son of man, and we're not going to accept it. And so there, we're going to leave, uh, and we're going to leave and be angry about you doing that. You're messing up our nests. And the Lord very often messes up my nest well and he and jesus kind of he kind of poked them right to oh. provoke to provoke this reaction I, I think i think that's part of his of his message and and just kind of making the point to the pharisees that hey i can i can do this and i am going to do it and and heal the man he knew where that was going yeah he did right it, yeah he kept for sure it, he kept, they said, he has broken the traditions of our fathers. Mm -hmm. Well, they had taken the Ten Commandments and turned it into 169 commandments. Mm -hmm. and, and he said, why do you lay this on somebody else and you can't do it? So do you think that the religious rulers were afraid because they saw him do this? Were they angry that they thought he could do this? I mean, do you think they genuinely... There, there were uh, the Sadducees uh, accepted the Old Testament. The Pharisees, they didn't care about the Old Testament. All they cared about was politics. Mm. And so they had one... Uh, 
one controller after another who was head of the Sanhedrin, which was their political body. So the Sadducees at this time thought, we're going to lose power also. Mm -hmm. It's about power, tradition. Yeah. Today's world money. (laughs) Right. Yes. Uh Uh, Yes. Yeah. Power. uh, Power even more than tradition. Mm -hmm. So the last question on this to you that I'd like to talk to you about, what do you, I think this says a lot about persistence in prayer, that these guys picked up their friend, took him to the door, couldn't get in, and they said, well, let's just find another way. And they found another way to to, to get their friend, their friend in front of Jesus without permission, but they kept, they kept at it. Persistence in prayer, persistence in, in trying to uh, put their friend before the throne, I guess. I'm kind of taking it to a spiritual, you know, to a more spiritual level, what we deal with today. Do you, do you see that too? That the persistence is a lesson in this miracle for mm-hmm. us? That we learn something about God that he rewards persistence in prayer? I haven't been let down through the season, through the ceiling, but at 18 years of age, I just got whacked and it was all powerful. And as a consequence, uh, I persisted after that on and on and on. And a few times I uh, got off the path, but I got back on the path. And when you seek him, he says, when you seek me with all your heart, I'll be there for you. But we can, but this also says to me, that you can show persistence in prayer for someone else, for someone else, not just not yourself. I I can pray for the inner city, that those that those folks that we see there on Thursday nights. I can pray for them specifically, and if I'm persistent in that prayer, that that prayer can be answered, even if the people who are there aren't asking for it themselves. Persistence in prayer doesn't mean it's going to be answered, but praying is not to move God. Praying is to move me. Praying is for me. And I may persist about those inner city people, but as I do, I, I, and moved. God's where he always has been. In this case, these guys persisted, these friends persisted, brought him to Jesus, and he was rewarded. The man was rewarded. Yeah. He answered their prayer. Uh, by the way, uh, the other evening, you said uh, when Jesus went home, he wouldn't do a miracle. And then he leads home and he does a miracle. Jesus has his own timing. Mm -hmm. And our best prayer is, Lord, well, he at the end of his life in the Garden of Gethsemane said, surely there ought to be another way, Mm -hmm. but I'll do your will. 
Mm-hmm. And he said to the two disciples, get up, let's be going. Kind of wrap this up. And here's the lessons I get from this parable. It's inspiring to me that friends can intercede on behalf of someone else. They were persistent in bringing, in bringing their friend before Jesus, that this man was granted forgiveness of sin without him even requesting it himself, that Jesus knew his heart, Jesus knew what he needed, and Jesus forgave him his sins and healed him, not because this man said anything. He never asked for anything. He did it based on the faith of his friends and had compassion on the man who was paralyzed because of his friend's faith. And his friends were moved by the faith to bring him in that blanket and lower him through the ceiling. Yeah. It's a beautiful story that I think shows us that Jesus doesn't necessarily go by, by formula. Jesus in the wilderness made it evident to the devil that he was not going to be a power broker and that he had his own way, his own time, and his own empathy, and he would work by that. Mm. Okay. Anything else you want to add? Well, I sure am glad that he intercedes on my part because many times I just plain don't know what to ask. So you who are listening, you may not know what to ask, but my dad at 40 became a Christian. He said, I get down on my knees every night just because it does me good to get down on my knees if I don't have a thing to say. Mm I love it.